How do you combine the science of at-home health with the art of a SPAC? We've got to listen to this podcast, of course, so let's do it. Here's today's Authentic Avenue. Beachbody, a company dedicated to helping people achieve their goals and enjoy a healthy, fulfilling life. On today's show to help me talk about that combination is their co-founder and CEO, Carl Deichler. We talk all about what has happened or not happened with Beachbody through COVID and how it changed the world of fitness. We also talk about their combination and turning outward via SPAC, which is an instrument I have not explored on this show with a company wanting to go public because it's relatively newly popular. And Carl has his opinions there. And finally, we talk a little bit about what the road is forward for the business overall. I've talked to Carl before, and I talked to him just a few months into the onset of COVID, so he's got a little bit more experience now with how they've kept their momentum up, and it's included the inclusion of another brand I like very much, Mix Fitness, which is in the at-home bike world. We'll get to that more in the show. I really like Carl because he admits he's more of a marketer than a fitness junkie, which makes me really want to talk to him, but also makes it amazing that he has gone in a field that he doesn't claim to be a junkie in and using cash flow only grown a business to about a billion dollars in revenue every single year. So I know you'll want to hear a little bit of that story regardless, as well as how he stays authentic each and every day with this turn public. So now I'll get out of the way and let you hear it. So enjoy as I get real with Beachbody and Carl Deichler. Hey, Carl, how you doing? I'm great, Adam. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you. Actually, good to talk to you again. Even though the last time we spoke was less than a year ago, obviously a ton has happened since, not just globally, but also locally with you. So I want to get into both of those just a little bit uh, because they both carry their own implications for what happens with putting a brand forward, especially in the fitness world. But I want to start here by talking about your story a little bit in relation to our conversation last year, in which you mentioned that rather than being necessarily a huge bodybuilder, you're really just a marketer more than anything than a fitness junkie itself. Now, last year, of course, during COVID, uh, everybody sort of became a fitness junkie just a little bit, and you're walking outside, uh, you're doing some workouts inside, you find those weights, you know, whatever, something like that. Did COVID change the fitness game for you personally? Um, not at all. Um, you know, and, and I, I would even dispute, I think, you know, you saw more people being active, particularly because they couldn't go to the gym. But uh, honestly, with all the anxiety um, in the world over the last year and uncertainty, um, while you had the, the people locked out of their gyms, needed to find alternatives. And that was for sure. Um, But the people, the 150 million people in North America who are overweight or obese, or the people like me who it's just not that fitness is not a thing they love to make time for. Um, And it, it, I don't think it changed at all. You know, we certainly all got input that to stay healthy and keep our bodies as strong and uh, vital as possible. We should be working out and we should be making good food choices. But then again, um, you know, it, it's it's been a tough year. And during a tough year, that might not be the time that you decide that you're going to start a new fitness program. So 
I, I think the same, I think the answer, Adam, is the same obstacles to somebody who doesn't love fitness or doesn't love making more uh, conscious food choices, those obstacles actually just got bigger. And uh, that's what I've seen happen. And that's even what I experienced. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I can agree to an extent because before I had heard, uh, I hadn't heard of anybody saying, oh, well, I mean, okay, sure, maybe they couldn't get in the gym and they were going to go out for a run. But those were people who were already going to the gym. So it wasn't a barrier to entry into things. It was just more of a vehicle for achieving it. But what I heard people say first, uh, what people learned to do before making that change was do things like bake bread <laughs> for themselves, you know, which yeah. is like uh, the mortal enemy of, of, uh, of a fit body. It was at least, you know, at its peak. Um, you know, more loaves of sourdough will probably uh, baked than personal bests on the deadlift. But uh, uh, so, so I, I see that. I see what you're saying uh, for sure. What I will say, though, is that you experienced as many did in this, shall we call it virtual fitness world, simply because you're not, you know, like in front of somebody else at a gym. Um, you as the founder probably, I don't want to say enjoyed this time, but you certainly saw a boost uh, from it as people moved away from uh, being in the gym in that setting. We talked about that a little bit uh, when we were just, just a few months into COVID when we last spoke. And you mentioned at the time that, you know, you're hoping to keep that momentum up. I'm curious how you've done that. Now that we are, I'd say, starting to crest the hill, we're certainly not through at COVID at all, but people are starting to come off a little bit. So what have you been doing to make sure that people, make sure you stay sticky, really? Well, uh, this has been something we've been doing for 22 years, honestly, and that is um, to move people, to influence people, to um, act on the impulse of deciding to take better care of themselves. Now, we did have the catalyst, if you will, of the pandemic that many people who would have otherwise been going to the gym experimented with in-home fitness. And uh, so so I wouldn't call it virtual fitness. It's real fitness. It just happens to be streaming into your house. Fair enough. And uh, you're using this sort of six by six space in front of the TV or laptop or phone. Um, so now, uh, you know, uh, the, the 62 million people who were locked out of the gym uh, in North America are like, oh, I got to do something. Let me look at what options there are. And one of them would look, would be Beachbody On Demand. Uh, or our other platform, OpenFit, and see that, hey, these are legitimate programs. The, these are real, um, uh, motivating, simple, and I can get it done in a half hour. And that's where the lift comes from because now you've got people who are uh, the influencers, if you will, of fitness, realizing that fitness at home is not virtual. It's real. And there is nothing more convenient than rolling out of bed, taking your pre-workout energy drink and going downstairs without worrying about what anybody thinks of your outfit and getting your workout done in a half hour to 45 minutes versus driving to the gym, finding a locker, getting checked in, roaming around, figuring out what you're going to do, you know, wondering if the, the equipment's clean, how do you work it? All these things. Now, look, gyms are great. Don't want to, I'm not slamming them, but for me personally, they're not anywhere near as efficient as a program that streams into my living room that I can get done with a few dumbbells. Yep. And uh, so, so what's where the lift came from is people who appreciate 
great fitness, realizing that it's available to them right at home. And that's that's been the epiphany that's helped the business. Now, how, how, how do we keep that going? Um, studies that we've seen show that 87% of the people who joined an online fitness service like Beachbody On Demand, uh, 87% of them intend to keep that even if they go back to the gym or not go back to the gym at all because it's so convenient. So the convenience is uh, is what's making it sticky uh, and the constant improvement and addition of social um, uh, levers, you know, tools. And, and there's one other thing, like you talked about people learning how to Bake bread, right? Uh, they call it the the COVID fifteen, the fifteen pounds that you gained during the pandemic yep. under lockdown. Um, that didn't happen just because people stopped going to the gym. That really happened because people started to gratify themselves with food, and uh, and that's what's so special about Beachbody is we always pair meal planning and nutrition planning with the fitness. So it's really important. We've been doing this since we started the company that people understand that they they don't have to sacrifice the foods they love. They don't have to sacrifice that bread that they love if they eat according to some portion control and they understand the ratio between carbs and fats and proteins and and vegetables and fruits and so on. Uh, And you can still get results, still have a glass of wine, still enjoy food, but also get control of your waistline. And that's the real difference maker for us because we offer the comprehensive solution. We, we don't round any corners. Well, uh, what, what I can say is that some people definitely rounded up uh, at this time this past year. Um, I think that it was probably uh, best to be a, uh, a yeast salesman, uh, perhaps an alcohol salesman, something like that last year. But now that people are finding that efficiency, I think that's a good point. Um, that's what's making your offering obviously sticky as well. Brief personal anecdote, which is now completely related to this. One of the places that I had been exploring uh, in this world of how to get more efficient is uh, buying weights for the house. Maybe it was uh, investing in some programs to follow along. But what it really was, uh, and the biggest manifestation of it, was actually my fiance's parents bought themselves a bicycle, an in-home bike, a stationary. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, a bike from Mix, yeah. which means that I experienced uh, that platform. And listeners, I'll leave a, a link to what Mix Fitness is in the show notes. So how convenient is it that I had just spoken to you a couple of months prior to that finding its way into my fiance's parents' basement? I'm curious what, uh, what drew you to their story um, to help them become part of, or uh, what is about to become part of, the Beachbody family. Uh, you know, obviously, it was clear to everybody, oh, uh, you're like Peloton, but, but really, Mix was a wonderful player that I'm glad you jumped on. What about them? What about them? What is it that you like? Yeah. So, just for a little bit of background, um, you know, Beachbody has been looking at ways that we can express our particular skill set, and that's creating really compelling programs and, and content that people want to do and uh, and gets people results because we connected with uh, an approach to meal planning. So so 
expressing that into stationary cycling, uh, you know, noticing, and we've been looking at this for 10 years, uh, but but hadn't contemplated getting into the equipment business until we saw what a great job Peloton was doing, uh, albeit at a quite a premium price. Uh, And then we met the folks at Mix, which is spelled M-Y-X, and said, you know, we would love to merge together, um, offer your bike and and approach to indoor cycling to our customers and really, you know, make it, you know, one plus one equals three. And the difference is, to your point, Mix had done some research, which is very similar to why people love Beachbody. Uh, And their research showed that the vast majority of people love the idea of indoor cycling, but are perhaps intimidated by the idea of the leaderboard as being the motivator. So, you know, people know that that there's this leaderboard on Peloton. Uh, And again, I'm not, I don't want to say anything bad about Peloton. It's a great product. They've done a phenomenal job. But anybody who's ridden it, and, and who maybe is not an alpha, if you will, who's, who's not a person who's in it to win it, but they really just want to know that they're getting a great workout at their speed, at their pace. Um, that's what Mix decided to design for. So they built their platform and content around the heart rate monitor rather than the leaderboard. So you're getting coached. Uh, and um, motivated based on being in a good fat burning zone on your heart rate monitor. And that's the, that's the source of connectivity rather than the leaderboard. And that really um, synthesized or harmonized, if you will, with what Beachbody is about, being accessible to what we call, you know, the 99%. And on top of that, Mix found a way to do it with a high quality commercial grade bike um, that is um, at the time was less than half the price of a Peloton bike. Now, Peloton's brought their prices down a little bit, but we're still well below the price of a Peloton bike at $12.99 and $29 for a monthly subscription versus $39 for the Peloton subscription. So we feel like, you know, we're, we're bringing a really good alternative to the market uh, and merging with Mix through what they call a SPAC transaction. And uh, they're, they're just, they just got the right personality, friendly, bright, colorful, welcoming, accessible, and people are getting great results. I agree. I've certainly seen that. I've become better at biking myself through those, uh, through those courses and through the, a couple of the coaches, a couple in particular I really like. But uh, for listeners, and, and I'll get back to the one particular question about the SPAC move in a second, but what I will say is that I can also vouch for that mixed team having met them uh, completely separately from, from this last fall. Uh, and I was drawn in, obviously, from a product perspective of, okay, you might beat Peloton on price, that's fine. You know, I had been focusing my personal fitness on a little trivia here on high-intensity interval training. So for me, it was all about heart rate. It was all work in the heart because I want to make sure I keep myself heart healthy based on a little family history. And one of the people in the team at Mix had had been uh, a hiker, a a mountaineer, and was very, very focused on cardio. And that's why he was involved in the company. And so I found that it was a very personable way to approach. And of course, a good way to get a workout in, uh, even if you're not 
an alpha with an I on the leaderboard. So this move, this merger uh, and and going outward via SPAC is, as you mentioned, was particularly interesting not only from that connection, but also because with any turn public, there is always a new audience. Not even in the consumer, I'm talking about investors as well. And I've had the pleasure to speak with a few brand presidents and CEOs and CMOs who were either in the midst of or had just gone through an IPO. And I know that that always has new implications for how brand operates and how it communicates. What does it mean? Is it any different when you go direct through a SPAC? Does that change anything from the brand's perspective or what consumers expect? Uh, Because uh, this is the first time where that specific instrument has entered my world. Well, there's a you, you've said a, a number of things. First off, I, I think I know who you're talking about, and he um, uh, has a Peloton and a mixed bike. And the thing that was the epiphany for him was that he was more likely he he wanted he felt more welcomed and called to the mixed bike than the Peloton bike because of that very competitive situation. He just wanted to get a good workout. He didn't want to feel like he had to climb the leaderboard. He just wanted totally. a good workout. So that's that that was sort of the light bulb that went off for him. Now, in terms of the SPAC um, uh, path to going public, our goal was never to be public. That's that that's not an end game. Uh, however, there are certain benefits, and normally you would consider doing it through an IPO. An IPO takes, you know, can take like two two years to organize that. And we're luckily we we've, we've got a great finance team that really had us all prepared with audits and everything, so we were ready to go, um, so that we could actually contemplate a uh, this this going public through what's called a special purpose acquisition company, which means the company's already listed on the market. Um, and so, and it's just looking for a company to buy to take public through its current listing. So, uh, so there's, th- this one existed and it was, it was fairly new and they were looking for uh, a content and uh, emerging market or technology um, growth opportunity. And, uh, they happen to be managed by uh, two guys, two former Disney executives, one being a guy named Tom Staggs, who was the former CFO of Disney. Other was Kevin Mayer, who uh, he's the guy who launched Disney Plus and ESPN Plus yep. and uh, bought Marvel Comics and Pixar and uh, Lucas and brought him into Disney. So when he went out on his own and started this SPAC with uh, the, the company Forest Road, and they chose, like they pursued Beachbody as a company that they felt should be brought to market. That was an incredible validation of the business model. And that brought additional capital to the table so that we could be more ambitious and aggressive about how we promote the company to the marketplace. Um, because for 20 years, we've been just growing it out of cash flow. We really haven't raised that much money. And, uh, but we're competing with people who are constantly raising money. So this gave us, by, by going public, this gave us, this will give us, it's going to happen at the end of May. This will give us the opportunity to have access to uh, additional substantial capital. Um, we got the additional validation of uh, private investment into a public entity. They call it PIPE for short. And we had some major financial players participate 
in that process and again, validate what we were doing uh, to substantiate the, the story for us that we were making the right call. And now the customer and the prospective customer has a company that's a little bit more transparent to look at. Now they will understand what the business model is because it's not a privately held company. It's gotta, it's gotta be more public, transparent with reports. And you know, when they put $1,200 or $1,300 down for a bike, or they subscribe to Beachbody On Demand or OpenFit, or they're um, consuming our health shakes and pre-workouts and so on, they know the ethos behind that company because it's got to be transparent. Um, so there, there were a, these, this number of reasons that made sense for us and uh, just the efficiency of getting to market through a SPAC where we could do it in four or five months rather than the two years of the normal IPO process. Quicker to market and uh, I, I like how you frame it. It's a validation. Really what it was was a validation of a model and I think for me, that helped me understand it even more than I think you probably meant to because when I had traditionally thought of it, like, okay, a brand, let's say uh, at the time, like it was Levi's, for example, it was just around IPO time. And what I immediately associated it with was like, okay, so now Levi's is going to have to answer to a bunch of retail investors and a bunch of banks who wanted it to like be a certain way. And that's why I kind of thought that maybe the SPAC path was a little bit different. The Pike model, as you said, is really interesting. And it's great that you can be more transparent, but it's clear to me that that validation is going to lead to a continued authentic path for you that you can carve as opposed to having to answer necessarily, and it might be the case at some point, but necessarily to like the masses out there, uh, which I think is great. Uh, and I want to, well, I don't want to endorse one vehicle over the other, but the SPAC seems really cool. Um, good way to do it. And being quicker to market obviously is great too. Well, look, you know, uh, th there was, there were a couple of things that were super important to me, uh, in contemplating this, um, because, you know, we've done really well. Uh, the company does around a billion dollars a year in sales. Uh, it's been profitable for 20 years effectively. And so it's been really good for me. And uh, because I'm the controlling shareholder. So, so I didn't have to take it public, but it was a smart, competitive and uh, an exciting move to, to, to let our uh, customers and coaches participate in the upside by owning a piece of the company that they enjoy um, online. Um, but to anybody that I talked to, I was very clear that A, I need to stay in control. I need to maintain ownership control of the business. We've still got a board, so obviously there's fiduciary control that the board of directors uh, maintains, but from a voting standpoint and ownership standpoint, I still own control uh, post-SPAC and um, the mission needs to remain intact. And the mission statement is help people achieve their goals to lead healthy, fulfilling lives. Now, that might sound like just one of those highfalutin mission statements that any company could have. Help people achieve their goals. Isn't that convenient? And aren't you an angel? <laughs> well, honestly, you don't, you don't find many fitness or nutrition companies that are 20 years old. And that's because it's very easy to, I'll, I'm doing air quotes here, bite into a poison apple of profitability uh, because 
the fitness business, it's a lot easier to sell a new idea in the fitness business than it is to get people results. So if you're not really good at getting people results with your fitness program or nutrition program, you're not going to be around that long. That's why you don't see really, you know, there's not a Coca-Cola or a McDonald's or a Levi's, if you will, of fitness because they're not around that long. Well, Beachbody's been around for two decades because this has been our focus. This is our business model, helping people get results. We have a million dollar a year giveaway where we give away over a million dollars in cash and prizes to the best transformations of the year, not just weight loss, but on the basis of health and overcoming personal obstacles. We call it the Beachbody Challenge. And that's what we celebrate. And and again, we don't we don't just celebrate that because it's it's a great way to treat the customer, although that is important. It's also the best way to run this kind of business because that's what keeps you in this kind of business. So that had to be fundamental. If if the business model all of a sudden changed, that now it's about chasing quarterly reports and earnings reports, um, then I wasn't interested. It, it had to, I had to stay in control and it has to be about how we create value. Our value comes from helping people get results, period. And that's a fantastic way to, I think, stay authentic. But I would agree with you. And as you probably would say, if you had to become a slave to quarterly reports, basically, you might go the way where you would turn into the kind of business that wouldn't last 20 years you know, very quickly. So I understand that for sure. And uh, the way that you drive the mission forward is going to stay central, which is great. And it makes me want to ask a question about that A word to which I so desperately cleave, which is authenticity. Uh, Because one of the most, of course, we did this, the first conversation was on a prior podcast of mine. He had one of the most striking quotes of the 120 episodes we did, which was that it was we were talking specifically about uh, the big uh, influencers versus regular people and how influential uh, they are, respectively. And you had said that the influencer with the million followers was not going to be nearly as influential as the person who's got fifty but has a real relationship with them. And if you are giving out, you know, you're endorsing with a million dollars cash and prizes to those who are uh, who probably has fifty followers but has this great transformation, and you're looking to elevate that as an achievement and a goal. It seems like the answer to this next question will be obvious, but I want to say, as every brand has its own avenues to authenticity, I'm curious uh, which are yours and have they changed at all over the last year or was it, again, simply that catalyst? I'm curious uh, how you're accomplishing that authenticity today. Well, it's been the premise of the business since the beginning and the, and the reason that we even have that mission statement and, and that we made it uh, and it's written, you know, all around the office, on the stationery, and so on, um, is is because we knew, like when we, like I said, we uh, built the business out of cash flow. So I couldn't afford big stars at the beginning. It had to come from first me showing uh, my results. My co-founder John Congdon, he got results with the programs, and that's what went in the advertising. Uh, but then we would, you know, give people a T-shirt if they would share with us their before and after photos unretouched, you know, and, and we gave out t-shirts and then we created this contest that would reward people for, uh, sharing their results with us and inspiring, helping us inspire others to do the same. So it's really 
you know, it's been the business model. But one of the important things about it in terms of this authenticity, it's, it's, uh, it's very easy to fall off that razor's edge because profits and, and, you know, you know, it's, it's, there's no certainty in business. Any company that's been around for a long time and that, that continues to grow has been through their share of, uh, wartime scenarios, the market's bad or the, the, the demand for the product is wrong. Or in our case, you know, we were on VHS and then that all transitioned to DVD and then the whole DVD model blew apart and turned into a digital model. Um, so we, we've had to be agile through all of that. However, the one constant that we could count on was that people want to get results. So, you know, we're a company of close to 900 employees and I need to be able to count on the same alignment with the people in the executive uh, roles as the person who's helping clean up around the office or the people who are hanging lights in the studio or, or, or cleaning up or, you know, whatever, like, like at, at every level, we have to be aligned that the judgments that we're all making are about helping people get results. And I, I was in a meeting this week and, um, and, and they were showing me set designs for a new program that's going to be released, a really great program that's getting released this summer. And they were wrestling with the set design. And, and I said, hey, you know, you're really close, but you've got to look at the function of this set design from the perspective of how clear is it going to be what these moves are, what what the technical aspect of this program is by the way you're, the, the orientation of the set that you're building. Because our all our decisions are made first on the mission. Does it help people get results? And it was like the light went on in the room. Everybody got really clear that some of the design aspects were competing with the clarity of communicating the message and the information and how to make it great training. And uh, it, so it wasn't me imposing my taste on a set design. It was the team going, what's going to be the set design that gets that, that communicates the information the clearest and, and with in a way that we call the beach body way, that's more clear than maybe our competitors. Um, and so as long as we all agree what the why is, that maintains our authenticity, but it does need to be reinforced. Um, they need to see proof that it's working. That's why we uh, attract the uh, testimonials and, and before and after results so that people can say, okay, that, you know, mission accomplished. I, I see that proof. And we communicate with the customer to understand what can we do better? What would have helped them get better results? And that is what, uh, those are the inputs that go into the next program. So, uh, it's in the DNA, and I, I think that a long, the longer the company's around, uh, and the more they really remind themselves uh, of the purpose, of the why of the thing. In our case, it's this mission statement. Um, the authenticity can be very easy to maintain, but the second you lose faith in that why, the whole machine will break apart because people won't know why they're making certain decisions. So either one person is going to have to make all the decisions or worse, 
everybody will lose faith in why they need to work so hard to achieve this mission because they've forgotten the why. And, uh, and, and that's going to start to chip away at the authenticity. So I, I actually love that about the name of your podcast because um, there's so many companies out there, um, particularly in the nutrition and supplement space, where their supplements were really great. And then you can tell that something happened. You know, Either they changed the formula or they decided to cut a few corners and all of a sudden the taste profile changed or the, they, the, the ingredients were as potent and, um, and they lost their authenticity. And I'm proud to say that like we have this product Shakeology that I drink every single day um, that, that literally I know that our R&D department and our supply chain people know that I'm drinking that every day and they're drinking it every day. And it's the one thing that we can count on to be a daily uh, dose of potent superfood nutrition. And we all are working toward how can this little scoop of powder be superior to anything else that we could have? That's the authenticity. And that's what people are proud to go to work and achieve. That DNA uh, proliferating through everything that you do, whether it be a set design, whether it be what you put into that scoop of powder, having such strong central building blocks is critical, in my opinion, to authenticity. Uh, thanks for the nod uh, on the uh, on the name, by the way. Yeah, it's my belief that uh, brands have or, or could have infinite avenues to achieve it, but that by having a few strongly carved deep avenues to it uh, and by sticking to them, um, uh, staying to that purpose, as you said, uh, they will set themselves up for the long run. Uh, now, it's also worth saying, by the way, that I'm glad that that DNA has also attracted other leaders that uh, I've met on past podcasts, uh, including somebody by the name of Luke Drulay, who is now part of the Open Fit family via ladder. Uh, so I'm glad that you're continuing to build this family, um, even through people that I know separately, to be great people. Um, finally, uh, then, what I want to ask you is for a little bit of advice. Now, perhaps it's focused on that DNA once again, and perhaps in the formation of that DNA. The reason being, a lot of people who listen to this show are building their own brands, uh, perhaps emulating a journey like yours, Carl. Uh, regardless, those people who are looking to find what makes them uh, unique uh, and how to build their personal authenticity. And again, whether it's for their personal brand or their professional brand, based on your experience growing this from the ground up, using only cash flow, uh, going from the early days where you couldn't afford a big mega celebrity to today where you, you're doing a billion a year in sales, um, I got to ask, how would you advise others to help find their own avenues to authenticity, having done it so well yourself? Well, thank you uh, for saying that. Uh, and I'm not going to be very original in my advice. And it goes back to what I just said. And that's that it really comes down to the entrepreneur's why um, and their ability to communicate that both to their team and their prospective customers. Um, you know, when, when we, you know, I'll go back to Shakeology. When we created Shakeology, the organization was like, wait a minute, the, the, the density of nutrition you're putting in this, this is going to cost, we're going to have to charge $130 a month for this bag of powder when, you know, you can go to Walmart or Costco or something and get a, a bag of protein powder, 30 servings for 30 bucks. Um, and, uh, and there's, you know, how are we going to, compete with a $130 bag of powder when there's $30 bags of powder. And 
you know, my response was because we're not trying to compete with that $30 bag of powder. You know, I, I really don't want a dose of nutrition that's the same price as a can of dog food. I want what, what I wanted to achieve was something that will help me fill the gaps in the nutrition that I'm just not getting from a from a salad or or my, my normal diet. Like superfoods grown at altitude that have adaptogens and phytonutrients and prebiotics and probiotics and uh, uh, adaptogen herbs and, and all these things. Um, I'm not, I can't get that anywhere else. And so I wanted it to be in a shake that I could get every day. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've gone to one of these smoothie bars or something, and it's quite common to go to a smoothie bar at a gym or, or one of these chains, and it'll cost 7 or $8 once you put a couple boosts in it to, to get it to a reasonable level of nutrition. So, you know, 4 or $5 a serving for something that had exotic superfoods in it was quite reasonable to me. And I said, we're always going to have one customer. That customer is going to be me, as long as you guys don't round any corners. Once they knew the why, that we were trying to bring a source of nutrition to people that was not just trying to compete with the $30 shake, but was $30 per month shake, but was literally trying to help feed people in a holistic way that would help them be healthier. The team knew what our authentic mission was. Now they're aligned with my authenticity, but it had to start with my why. And that's that's what I hope your listeners do because, man, wouldn't it be great? You know, there's a lot of distrust in companies and, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if more companies, more entrepreneurs held true to their why and didn't let, um, you know, you still want to be profitable. You still got to manage cash flow, but if your vision is strong enough and you're you're looking at a total addressable market that's large enough, you can create a success story and you can create great wealth with a powerful why that that opens up vast new markets. And that's what that's what creates authentic success stories. I, I think Apple is a great, you know, there's a company that stood true to its why, its authenticity. Um and there's other computer companies that got kicked around, tried to compete in areas that was not their thing. And they, they were just trying, they were on other people's turf and we don't hear about them anymore. Um, but, but that would be my advice. Find your why. And there's books on that. There's books to how to refine it and, and memorialize it so that it's easily articulated. And um, that's some of the studying that I do, you know, even at 57 years old, I'm still trying to figure this out. Well, that's uh, well. First twenty years uh, went great. <laughs> um, uh, we'll start there. But uh, to uh, to your broader point there, and I think it's a good one. That is something that I have heard again and again from those who I consider to be, and we're going to stick to this word, particularly authentic. When tempted by other things. And it could be profitability. It could be, oh, if we just do a little less, charge a little less, maybe we can sell more, blah, blah, blah. But uh, people who turned away from that and stuck right in the middle of their lane uh, ended up doing uh, better, I think. And, 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 you know, it. if you want to focus on things like quality over quantity, uh, that when you, especially when you say like, hey, if we're higher priced, 
we're we're not trying to we're not trying to compete with people who are necessarily low priced. You know, it's different. Uh, that resonates with me all day long. Well, you know what? You know what's a, a one last thing. I know we're coming yeah, yeah, yeah. at the end of the time, but a great story about that is when we created P90X, which arguably was like the the sort of the most famous in home workout that really started this revolution. Um, people told us we were crazy because you could go, you could buy a workout video at the bookstore or somewhere or the or the video store for nineteen ninety five. So why would they spend a hundred twenty dollars? on a kit of workout DVDs. And my argument back was, look, I'm not competing with the 1995 DVD. I'm competing with that piece of fitness equipment that costs $1,500. That instead of spending $1,500, get a few dumbbells and spend $120. We were actually a better value. That was our authenticity. That's that's where we're bringing value to the market. And that's the same way I feel about these shakes is, is we're helping people. They don't have to spend $8 at the smoothie bar. They don't have to put all of these supplements together and, and spend hundreds of dollars a month. We're going to do it for them with the, and, and we're going to test the heck out of that, all the ingredients so that we know that the potency is there, testing that the other guys aren't doing, but it costs money so that they're actually getting it at a very high value highly cost-effective rate and their health will thank them for it. Well, I think, I mean, you couldn't get more passion in than that. Uh, I don't even have to throw an end on that. Um, unfortunately, I will because we've had, uh, we're having such a long and rich conversation uh, here. But um, one thing I will say to listeners as a final note is maybe go out today, tomorrow, sometime this week uh, and just, it's hard to write down your why, but maybe how about write down things that you won't compromise on? You know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of like crafting your DNA. You know, it's certainly worked for others. It's worked for, it worked for Apple, as Carl said. It worked for Beachbody. It's even worked for me personally, a little bit. You know, I'm in the beginning of my own journey, but I see it. So I think that uh, could help you too. And it doesn't cost a thing. Uh, so for the meantime, though, it was really wonderful to take in another chapter of this story here, Carl. I'm really glad uh, that you are moving forward in this particular way. Uh, can't wait to see what the full manifestation of the relationship with Mix is. Uh, I'm glad to be part of the family via that. And uh, and best of luck to you and the team going forward. Uh, and for this insight today, I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate the time, Adam. It's a great podcast. That exercise, a mental one, albeit not physical, is one that I went through myself recently. What will you not compromise on. I think it's a good way to take out what's unnecessary so that you are able to see the true signal of what your authentic self is. Try it out. I think it'll be worth it. In the meantime, I really appreciate having you, Carl, on the show, sharing your story again with me, and to our listener for generally tuning in. Here's how you can continue to tune in, whether you are seeing this via LinkedIn, via my personal page, Adam Connor, which you can follow and connect with, or via the Authentic Avenue LinkedIn page, all followers who are getting my content the day it releases, as are subscribers on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And finally, some of you reach out to me via email, adam at authav.com. This one is new, A-U-T-H-A-V-E.com. Figured that was a shorter domain to go from, so that's where you can email me. Ask me about what I know about the podcast world and how it can enable more authentic conversations for you and for your business. I know a heck of a lot about that and I'm happy to share. Regardless, you're going to hear from me again next week about how someone else is staying true to themselves 
and how to carve your own path to authenticity through their eyes. And until then, I've been your host, Adam Connor, saying until the next time I get real again with you, thanks for taking a walk with me down Authentic Avenue.